Well, good morning. Uh, it's great to be with you again. We can't tell you how uh, much of a joy it is to be uh, back with you this weekend. Uh, and we want to say a, a big thank you, particularly to Andy and Amanda, for their hospitality. Uh, it's been wonderful to uh, spend time with you, and we're really grateful for your welcome into your home this weekend. So keep uh, Romans 2 open in front of you, if you uh, would. Uh, as we look at what God has to say to us this morning. Uh, now, it, it won't take long for you to realize uh, that I am a massive cricket fan, uh, and I'm a, a very keen supporter of Essex County Cricket Club. Uh, and let me tell you that now is a really good time to be an Essex cricket fan, uh, if any of you follow cricket. But it hasn't always been that way. Uh, but I have faithfully followed the club through its downs as well as its ups. Now, about 20 years ago or so, a friend and I were both club members. Uh, and we happily spent many summer's day in, uh, in Chelmsford watching the cricket while we should have been revising for exams. Uh, but our, our membership cards gave us free access to the ground uh, and open entry to open access to all areas of the club. It was great. The only slight issue was that my friend who uh, came with me, well, he was from South Wales and supported Glamorgan. Uh, it was a bit awkward when the two teams were playing each other. But more often than not, he was really just interested in enjoying the free entry uh, and sitting watching a day's cricket. You see, we both had the privileges of membership. But unlike me, he did not experience the joy of watching his team play. He had no inner or emotional connection to the team he was, he was watching, whereas I did. Now, the reason I tell you that this morning is not simply because it enables me to get cricket into a sermon, but the reason I tell you is because essentially that is pretty much what the Apostle Paul is talking about in our passage this morning, of course, in a much deeper and more important way than, uh, than cricket. But his overriding point in, in this passage of Romans 2 is that authentic Christianity, authentic membership of the people of God, it is not about badges or membership cards. It is about the heart. It's not about external signs, but internal reality. And these early chapters of, of Romans that you, you are working through at the moment, it's basically one long explanation of the fundamental truths of the gospel. It's helpful, therefore, just to fit our passage into the context of where Paul has been so far. He began, of course, with that wonderful statement in chapter 1, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. He then stated precisely why the gospel is good news. Because in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. He then, of course, explains why the gospel is necessary. It's because we are unrighteous and God is rightfully angry at human sin. But then as he began chapter 2, he imagines some objections from people who are morally upright. People who say, well, yeah, Paul, I get that. I get that God is absolutely angry with those really bad people, uh, but surely not us. Uh, and Paul takes on those potential objections head on in uh, verse 1 of chapter 2. You, therefore, uh, not them, you, you have no excuse. He forces us, doesn't he, to look in the mirror 
and see ourselves reflected back. And he outlines the basic truth that all of humanity, whoever we are, all of humanity stands equally guilty before God. But now in verse 17, well, he imagines another objection to all of his teaching. This time, the objection comes from the Jewish people, his own people. Uh, Now, Paul is passionate that the Jews will come to know Jesus. Uh, Paul is passionate, of course, that everybody will come to know Jesus. But the Jews have a special connection with his heart. They're his people. He wants them to come to know Jesus. Uh, And his purpose in our passage this morning is to reinforce this great truth, this big truth, this hard truth, that everybody stands equally guilty before God, Jew and Gentile. There's no difference. He wants them and he wants us to understand that it is only the gospel that produces people who are commended by God and who in turn commend God to a watching world. And I suppose the question this morning is, do you and I want to be that kind of people? Do we want to be people who God commends, and who in turn commend God to a watching world? I trust the answer is yes. Uh, and the answer, as we will see, is not by outward religion. It is not by doing uh, certain things that we think will please God. It is by the supernatural inward work of the Holy Spirit. Authentic membership of God's people is not about badges or membership cards or outward works. It is a matter of the heart. It is something that works from the inside out, not the outside in. So two main things uh, that Paul wants us to understand. And the first is the problem with religion. The button didn't work. Shall I try again? You'll have to, you'll have to listen really hard at the back, James, and click on when, when the time comes. <laughs> problems with religion. It's often said that Christianity is not about religion, it's about relationship. Uh, And the reason people use that little saying is, is to draw a contrast, isn't it? Religion, of course, is all about outward works, traditions, rituals. Religion is about standing before God, or trying to stand before God, on the basis of things that we do. Whereas we say Christianity is about standing before God based upon a relationship with Jesus. And that's what Paul is saying. The outward signs of religion, frankly, they mean absolutely nothing if they are not the product of and pointed to an inward reality. So religion, all about standing before God on the basis of doing something. And that is exactly what the Jewish people were doing. Uh, And it's exactly why Paul addresses them head on, to shock them out of their their danger in order that they might see their need for the glorious gospel of God. Uh, And so Paul imagines a conversation going on. He's he's written the first chapter and a half of his letter. uh, And then he, he sort of sits there thinking, well, I wonder what the Jewish people would say. He imagines in his mind a Jewish person objecting to what he's teaching. A Jew might say something like this, Paul... You are absolutely right to highlight God's anger against those pagan people. They're sinners. God is going to judge them. You preach against them. You go for it, Paul. But hang on a minute. You've just said that all people are facing God's anger, God's judgment. Surely, Paul, surely you don't mean to include us Jews in that, do you? Just just think again, Paul. 
And as Paul imagines that kind of objection coming to him, he launches into this frankly astonishing passage that really just bursts the bubble of Jewish pride and confidence in their outward religion. I had the wonderful privilege uh, of passing the 11 plus exam. You don't do that here, I know, but I had the wonderful privilege of passing the 11 plus exam and going to grammar school. Uh, It's a privilege I am more grateful for now than I ever was back then. Uh, The reality is I took the privilege for granted. Uh, And quite frankly, I I thought myself better than than most of my friends that didn't get into grammar school. I certainly thought myself better than my brother when he didn't pass the 11 plus a couple of years later. We all have a tendency, don't we, to think of ourselves better than others. We take our privileges for granted. That's precisely what the Jews did. They were convinced they were better than any other race on earth. The trouble was they misunderstood the purpose for which they'd been put there. They misunderstood the reason why they'd been given all kinds of special privileges. They took them for granted, and the ultimate effect, verse 24, is that God was dishonored. The Jews Paul is addressing, they thought they did not need Jesus. They thought because they were very religious, because they had all these kinds of privileges and advantages, they did not need the gospel. The trouble was, like, it was all about external signs, external rituals, external things, and no inward reality. So what are the problems with religion? James is going to have to click on. Problem number one, it leads to hypocrisy. Verses 17 to 20, Paul summarizes the Jewish perception of themselves. The reasons for their their pride. There are four spiritual advantages that the Jews think they have. uh, And consequently, there are four responsibilities that they assume are theirs. Look look with me at these four spiritual advantages. First, verse 17. If you call yourself a Jew, the Jews were very proud of who they were. They're God's chosen race. They lay claim to the name of God's covenant people. What an advantage we have over other nations, they say. Second, Paul says, if you rely on the law and boast in God. You see, that's the second advantage they claim. God has given us his law. We're not only God's covenant people. He's given us his law. He didn't give it to other nations. He gave it to us. Third, verse 18, in the Jewish mindset, because we have the law, we therefore know God's will. Can't fault the logic, but that's what they thought. We we have God's law, therefore we know God's will. And therefore, fourth... The Jews approve of what is superior. That means they have higher moral standards than all the other nations around them because they have the law of God. So four advantages. The Jews claim, mark them out as special. We're God's chosen people. We have God's law. We therefore know his will. Consequently, we have higher standards than everybody else. So then, verses 19 and 20, Paul goes on to talk about some responsibilities that the Jews think they have. Verse 19, you're convinced you're a guide for the blind, a light for those who are in the dark, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of little children. Uh, Now, as we read those things, as we look at those claims that the Jews in Paul's day would have made, we have to acknowledge that up to a point, they were right. Each of them is true. 
God had entered into a special covenant relationship with the Jewish people. The Jews had enjoyed the advantages of that relationship. It's true, they have received this wonderful revelation from God. He's given them his law. They know his will. They were right to be joyful in that. They know God's will. And because they were, in theory at least, instructed by God's word, they did have higher moral standards than the other nations around them. They were therefore right in seeing themselves as a guide for the blind, a light for those in the dark. In fact, that is precisely what God called them to be. Back in Isaiah chapter 42, God says this, I will keep you and make you to be a covenant for the people, a light for the Gentiles to open eyes that are blind. That's precisely what the Jewish race was put on earth to do. So the Jews in Paul's day saw themselves as having these great advantages and these serious responsibilities. And in a sense, they were right. And yet Paul looks them head on and says, the trouble is, you've failed. And to think that you truly do enjoy these special privileges is frankly hypocritical. Why? Because you don't practice what you preach. You who think you know God's will through his law, you who think you are a guide for the blind, are you practicing what you preach? And Paul asks four rhetorical questions in verses 21 to 23. Uh, and the reason he does so is in order that the Jews might see that they are utterly hypocritical. They're proud of who they are. They're proud of possessing God's law, and yet, Paul says, they're lawbreakers. Knowledge about God is not enough, he says. Uh, Paul says, you, you preach against stealing, and yet you steal. Do you, do you rob one another? Do you maybe rob your employer? Do you rob God of what is rightfully his? You preach against adultery, and yet are you sexually immoral? Think about what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, even just looking at another woman lustfully is, is, is committing adultery. Do you do that? You, you hate idols, yet do you rob temples? Uh, now, that might refer to robbing pagan temples of, of valuable treasures and, and keeping them for themselves, or it could mean robbing God's temple, uh, not worshipping God as he deserves to be worshipped. Either way, the point is, is the same. You, you're not practicing what you preach. You boast in God's law. You're proud of possessing God's word. And yet, do you dishonor him by breaking his law? You bet you do, Paul says. You don't practice what you preach. The outward impression you give off does not match the inward reality. The problem with religion, it leads to hypocrisy. Placing your confidence before God on outward things like your ethnicity or knowing God's law, being confident in those things just leads to hypocrisy because you don't practice what you preach. Problem number two is it leads to complacency, taking your privileges for granted. Verse 25, you see, Paul moves on to dismantle the other great pillar of Judaism, circumcision. Circumcision, of course, was the outward sign that you were a member of God's covenant people. It was the membership card. And yet Paul shocks his readers by saying, 
Essentially, circumcision is of no value whatsoever if you break God's law. If the external sign does not match the internal reality, it is of no value. So much so, verse 26, he says that the Gentile, who is inwardly converted but not circumcised, well, he truly is a member of God's covenant people. Whereas someone who is circumcised but unrepentant, that person is not. See, Paul is teaching the logical conclusion of all that he said so far in Romans. Jews and Gentiles, equally sinful, equally deserving of God's judgment. And the answer is not trying to keep the law. The answer is not trying to live a better life. The only answer is the gospel. The Jews of Paul's day, they were complacent. They believed that because they had the covenant sign of circumcision, that was enough. The outward sign, but no inward reality. They thought it didn't matter. Paul says it matters very much indeed. They were complacent. That is the problem with religion. It leads to complacency. So Paul says to the Jews, do you practice what you preach? And does the external sign you're so proud of point to an inward reality? And of course, the answer is a resounding no. And the conclusion is simple. You need the gospel. And this is vitally important, Paul says, because of the awful consequences of the hypocrisy and the complacency. Verse 24, God's name is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. Paul is well aware of what we ourselves know. The world is watching us. The world watches us. What do they see? And Paul says, you who are called to be holy, you who are supposed to be a light to the Gentiles, you who are supposed to lead them to God, in fact, the Gentiles mock God and blaspheme his name because of you. They see your hypocrisy. They look at you and think your religion is a mockery. God is dishonored because of you. Can, can you imagine being a Jew reading this? They, they would have recoiled at what Paul is saying. He's pulling no punches because he's passionate that they too might come to know Jesus. He's desperate. Desperate for us all to glory in the gospel of Jesus rather than in anything religious. Now, we might be beginning to wonder, well, what on earth has all that got to do with us today? Uh, we tend not to be inundated with unconverted Jews who need to hear this. Of course, if we do meet a Jewish person, uh, we need to tell them this. This is part of what we need to tell them. They need to hear that message. But how on earth does it apply to us all here today? Well, I think there's two ways. Uh, and the first is that the problems with religion still exist. Uh, they're present all around us. Uh, the religion that we might be most familiar with is probably not Judaism. It's what passes as Christianity. In the UK today, there are countless thousands, millions of people who think they are members of God's people. They think they are members of God's kingdom. And like the Jews of Paul's day, they base their confidence before God on outward things. Although many, many people around us claim to be atheists, my experience is that they're nothing of the sort. In my experience, it is far more common to come across people 
who believe that one day they will stand before God and he will let them into heaven because they've lived a good life. They will stand before God on their own terms. They think they're living a good life, therefore God will be pleased with them. They may even go to church. They may give money in the offering. They may even bring their donations to the need project or the food bank. They say their prayers at night, but like the Jews in Paul's day, they base their confidence before God on what they are doing. Or they base their confidence before God on the basis of who they are. They're British. They're probably baptized as a baby. And they live as though that ritual is their ticket into heaven, regardless of the state of their heart. Like my cricket-watching friend who had the membership card but no inner connection, like the Jews who had the outward sign but no inward reality, millions of people are placing their confidence, their hope on external religion rather than internal relationship with Jesus. But their confidence is a false confidence. And I want to say to you this morning, your confidence is a false confidence if that is you today. There's a story that was told by the American uh, preacher, Harry Ironside. He was once on a train, uh, and he gave a, a gospel booklet to a man sitting opposite him. Uh, and the man asked him, why, why did you give me that book? I'm not going to do an American accent, because I will insult certain people. It's one of the accents I can't do. Um, but the man asked, why did you give me that book? And, and Ironside said, are you a Christian? And the man was rather indignant. He replied, take a good look at me. Do I look like a Jew or a Chinaman? Uh, and Harry Ironside will, replied, well, you, you look and sound like an American. And he said, then there is your answer. I'm American, therefore I'm Christian. And that same story could be replicated in our own country. In this town. Cultural Christians. People who think they're okay with God because of where they were born or a ritual that took place when they were a baby or because of the good life they think they lead and they have not a thought about God in their heart. And what Paul says to the Jews of his day is an equally important message to you if you place your confidence before God on outward religion rather than what you are inwardly. If you've been trusting in your baptism or in your church membership or in your knowledge of the Bible or in your financial generosity or in your good life or in your Christian upbringing, if you've been trusting in anything other than Jesus Christ and his death on the cross for you, throw everything else out the window and turn to him, please. But there is a second application I think we must make about that and, and it is to ourselves. We who are genuinely members of God's covenant people. Because Paul's warning to the Jews of his day about the dangers of hypocrisy and complacency, you know, they are really important warnings to us as well. Because there is so much hypocrisy and so much complacency even within the true church. And we Christians, we evangelicals, you know, we can easily apply all this to people of other traditions. Oh, that's very easy. But what about ourselves? The questions Paul asked about stealing and adultery and idolatry, they're very relevant to us. 
do we rob God of what is rightfully his? Do we commit sexual or spiritual adultery? Do we love idols more than God? I think we can go even further. You know, we preach that God is a God of righteousness, who hates injustice and oppression. So how do we treat those who are hungry and helpless? We preach grace. How do we show grace in our dealings with one another? Do we practice what we preach? And if there is nothing else this morning, take that question away with you. Do we practice what we preach? Because the world is watching us. May we who seek to bring light to this dark world, may we never be so hypocritical as to not apply the teaching of God's word first and foremost to our own hearts. We need to check our own hearts and our lives. Why is it so important? It is because we live out our lives in front of a watching world. How tragic it is when God's name is blasphemed because of us. Because people see the hypocrisy. Because people see a disconnect between what we preach and what we practice. Uh, There was an occasion when uh, Gandhi was asked what the biggest barrier was to the spread of Christianity in India. His reply? Christians. He himself at one point apparently was attracted to the teachings of Jesus. And he very famously said, I like your Christ, but I don't like your Christians. And I wonder what does our witness say to a watching world? See, Paul has powerfully outlined the problems with religion. It leads to hypocrisy and it leads to complacency. But what is the answer? Well, as we know, there is only one answer. We all need Jesus. We all need to be changed from the inside out. Uh, And so in these last couple of verses, 28 and 29, Paul talks not of a problem, but of power. The problems with religion are overcome by the power of the Spirit. And that is what we need. A Sunday school teacher had just finished a lesson uh, and asked, um, asked some questions of the class to make sure the children had understood what she had taught. Uh, now, Billy, tell me what must we do before we can expect to be forgiven with, for our sins? Without hesitation, Billy replied, well, first we've got to sin. <laughs> we don't have a problem there, do we? We are all lawbreakers, Paul said. And therefore, none of us can become members of God's covenant people by keeping the law. That's what he says in verse 28. You don't become one of God's people by becoming a Jew outwardly, by circumcision. Verse 29, you become a true Jew, that is, one of God's covenant people, by a circumcised heart. And that is a supernatural work of the Holy Spirit. We need him to work supernaturally in our hearts to bring a conviction of our sinfulness and to draw us savingly to the Lord Jesus. It's all a matter of the heart. We're not saved from the outside in, it's inside out. All the outward form and religion might look good, but if there is no inward reality, it's all pointless and it's empty. God sees behind the mask that we put up. You know the uh, Mission Impossible films? 
You know, the main character, Ethan Hunt, he's well known, isn't he, for wearing masks. Uh, It's a trick used in almost all the films. Uh, And in doing so, he he tricks the villain. And then there's a dramatic drum roll at the end where he pulls off the masks to reveal the truth. God does not need to pull off our masks. He sees right behind it. He sees the heart. And that is what he's interested in. You see, the evidence of membership of God's covenant people is not having the law. It's not circumcision. It is obedience. That's the evidence that we are part of God's people. He's not talking about salvation by obedience. He's talking about obedience as the evidence of salvation. But obedience is only possible by a supernatural work of the Holy Spirit. The only way we can live a life that brings honor to God's name is if our hearts are first supernaturally changed from within. Now, the idea of circumcision of the heart is not new. It's what God called for way back in the Old Testament too. Deuteronomy 10 verse 16 and Jeremiah 4 verse 4. In both of those places, God called for circumcised hearts. But there's one difference. In the Old Testament, he gives an instruction. Circumcise your hearts. Here, Paul says it's a work of the Spirit. Do you see? God is so gracious. Because in Christ, through the Spirit, he will do for us what we are powerless to do. We cannot circumcise our hearts ourselves. He will do it for us. It's all very well talking about circumcised hearts, but what on earth does it mean? Well, circumcision involved, of course, cutting away of the flesh. And in the same way, circumcision of the heart involves the Holy Spirit cutting out of our hearts anything to do with the desires of the flesh. And that is often painful, not physically, of course, but spiritually. It's hugely painful as the Holy Spirit gets to work in our hearts, changing our desires and getting rid of all that dishonors God. But circumcision was also a sign, a sign of being set apart for God, his possession, his people. I think Beth and I must be terribly old-fashioned, but we still have two sets of crockery in our house. I'm not sure anybody does that anymore when you get married. I don't know whether you will or not, but... We have, we've still got a, a special set of crockery that was given us as a wedding present. And to my knowledge, we haven't broken a single piece of it. But it's used for special occasions. The stuff we use every day, that gets broken all the time. Not because we throw it at each other. Uh, it just <laughs> happens to get broken. But we have two sets. One for everyday use, one for special. The essence of Paul's message is that we're not to be like that. We're not to be double-minded or two-faced. We're not to have one life for Sundays when we're around our Christian friends and everybody can see us and a different life for everyday use. Is the person that we are on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, is that the same as the person we are on Sunday? The, The person we are in the workplace or at college, or in the school playground, is that consistent with who we are on a Sunday? Is that consistent with with what we claim about Jesus? Is that consistent with what we preach? Our hearts are to be set apart for God all of the time. That's what a circumcised heart is. 100% of life, 100% of the time. 
and when our heart is supernaturally changed by the power of the Holy Spirit, then and only then do we find ourselves conforming to God's will. That will that he's revealed in his word. We begin to be conformed to his likeness as the Holy Spirit circumcises our hearts. That is the sign that we're members of his covenant people. Being one of God's people is not a matter of outward appearance or physical signs. It's a matter of the heart. It's the Holy Spirit transforming us from the inside out. And notice at the end of our passage, that is the kind of person that God commends. That is the kind of heart to which God gives a thumbs up. And that is the kind of person who in turn commends God to a watching world. Only through the gospel can we come into God's covenant people. And only by the power of the Holy Spirit can we live lives before a watching world that brings honour to God's name. As the old hymn says, here's my heart. Lord, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. May we be people who practice what we preach, whose outward lives before a watching world are the fruit of a circumcised heart, the power of the Holy Spirit. Shall we pray? Holy Spirit, come and transform us. Come and renew us that our hearts might belong to you in 100% of life, 100% of the time. Lord, would you work in us from the inside out, making us more like our Lord Jesus. Help us that we might be confident not in anything we are or have done, but in what he has done for us and what you are doing in us. May our lives therefore be a powerful witness to a watching world, all to the glory of God. Amen.